So how's everyone doing? Ah, happy in the Lord. That's good. Um, the message God's put on my heart today is, a, is something that has been inside of me for, for months now, something I've been thinking about. And it feels almost impossible to cram it into a sermon, but we're going to see what we can do. We're going to see what we can do. I'm sure that most of you know about the, the wildfire in California. I hope you're praying, praying for those people. Uh, Jackie and I were talking about this yesterday because Pastor Corey's uh, grandmother was in, in one of the areas and they hadn't heard from her in a couple of days. And finally she checked in last night, so she's safe. But many other people are not. And, and there's 25 plus people who, fatalities, there are 200,000 people evacuating. There are thousands of homes destroyed. It's absolute devastation uh, to, to California. So we're praying for them and, and especially praying for the church to be there to serve their communities. I was just out there uh, in May visiting a friend and he was, we were sitting on his porch and he described to me the fear of just, you know, you see smoke in the distance and it can come right through. So this, this, this uh, fire that's happening right now, experts are calling it a worst case scenario because there's strong winds, low humidity, and warm conditions. So it basically goes from tree to tree and house to house. And uh, Jackie and I, as I said, were talking about this yesterday. And Jackie asked me, you know, how did this fire get started? And truthfully, I don't think they really know how this one got started. But what do you think of the number one reason fires get started is? Nature. Campfires. So campfires are not well attended. You know, flicked cigarettes out the window. But it's an amazing thing to think that a campfire left unattended can start a wildfire that can consume all of this area. I mean, it's, it's terrifying. We read in Proverbs, in Mission 119, in Proverbs 30, it says, this is one of the things that's never satisfied, fire. Fire is never satisfied. It will burn and burn and burn and consume everything in its path. So that's a, a scary thing about fire. And the Bible actually draws a direct parallel between fire and something else. And this is what I have in my heart for you uh, this morning. In James 3, 5 to 6, it says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Today, I want to take a moment to consider what the Bible says about the power of the words that come out of our mouth. This is something we don't often focus on very much, except for we shouldn't say these curse words, whatever, like something very superficial. But every word that we say and don't say is extremely powerful. And sometimes not saying something is the most powerful thing you can do. And something we have to realize is that our mouth the Bible calls it in so many different places, a gateway of both death and life. And the Bible talks about how we need to guard our mouth and have, almost like have armed guards waiting just to keep things under control. Our mouth is, uh, is a powerful thing. It's very easy in the Bible, if you do a, a little study, to find teaching about the power of our words, about... Uh, how saying something can really cause a lot of trouble. Uh, the Bible is just full 
and rich with us. And if you've been reading with us in Mission 119, we just got through reading Proverbs this past week. And in Proverbs 18, 20 to 21, it says, From the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled with the harvest of the lips. They are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You have the power and the ability in, in how you control your mouth and what you say to protect and save life around you and to kill. Think about the stories that we hear of tragic things that happen in our culture among youth and among um, adults as well who uh, have had really bad things said to them over a long period of time in their lives. And it's destroyed them as people. It doesn't take many Wikipedia articles to figure out the backstory of, of notorious criminals and to see the common elements that are in a person's life from a very young age. And you know what? Whatever weapon they ended up using when they carried out their horrible crimes is nothing compared to the weapon that they were exposed to from the words of other people, the withholding of love from other people in their lives. Um, we're all very fragile. And the words we say to each other, the words we don't say to each other, how we act towards one another makes all the difference. It's a power of life and death. Look at this uh, little survey of Scripture. So the following verses picture the mouth as a gate that needs guards on it. Uh, because... If the mouth is un unguarded, death can come out of it. In Proverbs 21, 23, it says, Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Proverbs 13, 3 says, Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. Those who speak rashly will come to ruin. And James 1, 26, Those who consider themselves religious, for our purposes, if you consider yourself a Christian, but do not keep a, keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself, and your religion is worthless. Um, can you think of stories of people in our recent history whose words seem to be getting them in trouble a lot? A whole different layer of this sermon, you know, could be, could be spoken about social media and Twitter and, uh, and Facebook. Uh, the words that we write and type out on our Facebook profiles also are either life-killing or life-giving. Um, the things that we share, the things we don't share, how we engage. Uh, there's, there's power in the pen. There's power in the keyboard. So we need to have guards on what we say. As much as we need to guard ourselves from saying certain words, the Bible equally encourages us to proactively use our words to bring healing to the souls and, and being of people who hear our words. Through your words you can actually speak healing into people's lives. This is the positive part, especially as a spirit-filled believer, if you call yourself a Christian, and you think of yourself as being someone who acts as a Christian, you have this great advantage of having the Holy Spirit within you so that your words can actually impart life to other people. And sometimes the most powerful words I've been given, I can tell you 100% this is true, were people who prayed for me, God put a scripture on their heart, and they shared it for me at a time when I needed to hear it. And it's been electric. 
the encouragement you can get from the Word of God hidden in the mouth of a brother or sister in Christ, anointed by the Holy Spirit, can literally bring life, can save life, and preserve life. Proverbs 16.24 Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. You ever bit into a honeycomb before? Right through the wax. Very satisfying sensory experience to crush that sucker. All the little cells of honey explode into your mouth. You know, delicious honey. Um, Gracious words are like that. Like a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul. Healing to the bones. Um, another, Another aspect of honey that my children find fascinating after studying ancient Egypt is its preserving qualities. They used honey and embalming in Egypt. You know, words of life, gracious words, can preserve those who hear them as well. Proverbs 15, 1-2. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It takes two to tango, as they say. You have so much control. People feel like they're out of control in their relationships with their spouse, with their children, with their friends, with people in their lives. You have so much control in that you don't have to return blow for blow when you're having a difficult conversation. And you don't have to be passive-aggressive and say nice things with a bad attitude. You can actually uh, turn away wrath with a gentle uh, answer a kind answer, a humble answer. And you know, when, when you're fighting or engaged in verbal sparring like this, the dance can't go on forever. When you stop feeding the fire with those logs, it'll go out. That's another thing we read in Proverbs this past week in, in regards to gossip. It says if you, if you throw logs on the fire of gossip, it keeps burning. But if you decide not to throw logs on it, the fire eventually goes out. And this is a true principle for relationships. A gentle answer turns away wrath can change a whole, the course of a whole relationship by deciding to do this one thing. Ephesians 4.29, this is a really uh, benchmark passage about our, about our mouth. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. So, these, so not only are we to avoid you know, saying guarding our mouth to not say things that bring death, proactively, as Christians especially, we are called to speak words of life into each other's lives. And here, I love this, this verse in Ephesians, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So you don't, you don't think to yourself, you know, what, necessarily what would I like, but you, you get yourself into this mindset of Jesus, who looks not only to its own interests, but also to the interests of others and says, what does this person need to build them up according to their needs? You know, what can I do to benefit this person's life, to help them uh, become a better disciple of Jesus? It might not be what you need, but you can do what they need. You can ask God for wisdom. So these words of life come from that place of servanthood, from that place of compassion, from that place of empathy, where we consider what other people need. Finally, 
the Bible addresses where our words come from, whether they be life-giving or death-giving, the Bible actually tells us the mystery of where our words come from. It says, our words proceed from the heart. Our words are the overflow of what is deep down true of who we are. So if you have a pot of boiling lemon juice in you, when your pot boils and it spills over onto the people in your path, your bitter lemon self is going to say bitter lemon words to discourage people, like a wet blanket, you know? If you are an angry person, it's like hot lava. It comes out of you and it just destroys everything in its path. If your heart is, is like that. But if your heart has been touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you've been forgiven of your, of your sins, and you have the humility uh, of, of being someone who didn't deserve to be forgiven, yet was forgiven and loved by Jesus, when you have that kind of experience of grace in your life, humility, gratefulness, and an attitude of, what can I do to pay back the debt of love that I feel towards Jesus? If you have that in your heart, when that pot boils over, everyone around you gets gracious, kind words and gentle words that turn away wrath and give life. So the Bible says where words come from. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus, talking to the religious leaders, said to them, You brood of vipers! How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Proverbs 4, 23-24 Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the, everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. So our hearts are the source of our words, whether they be good or bad. And the heart that's, that's not transformed by the gospel, not living in the reality of of Jesus' kindness and forgiveness of us. It uh, overflows with bad things. So in summary, our mouth is like a gate. It needs to be guarded. Think of them as little, little armed guards in front of your mouth. Uh, because our words hold the power both of death and life. There's great potential for damage, a great potential, potential for blessing. And our words and the types of things we say and the spirit in which we say them reveal something true about the state of our hearts. It's so easy to, to breeze by these Proverbs and say, that sounds really good. But to really park here, um, to, to think about how powerful the mouth is, how powerful our words are, and how we might become a person who's life-giving rather than death-giving with our words is what Jesus wants us to do today. Hebrews 2.7 says something really interesting about God's creation of people, which I think illuminates a little bit of why words are such a powerful thing. The author of Hebrews says that God created human beings, quote, a little lower than the angels. So that's an astounding thing to say. I don't think we think of ourselves as being that marvelous of a creation, but the Bible teaches we are just a little bit lower than the angels. And just for context, angels in the Old and New Testament were messengers of God, are messengers of God, who do God's will. And in the scriptures, when angels appear to people, typically those people fall down and worship because they think they're in the presence of God. That's how glorious these angelic messengers are. And God says that he has created us a little bit lower than the angels. So think about, think about this. Your message that you send 
is powerful. You are also a messenger of God. You are created a little bit lower than the angels. And so if you're a messenger of God, what is the message you're giving to other people is the question. You know, what is the message that you are transmitting just a little bit lower than the angels, guys? It's a powerful message. Are you sharing words of death or words of life? There's another thing that's closely related to our words, and that's our attention. You know, where is, where is our attention? Are we giving life through our, our attention towards other people, or are we neglecting people and causing them to feel invisible? So how does this look for different, different age groups? You know, speaking, to, speaking to young people in the room who are in school, I've been talking to my children about the difference their words make in the lives of other people. And without going into too much detail, a friend of mine from high school took their own life because of words of people towards him growing up. He had a medical condition that caused him to lose the enamel on his teeth and they rotted and he had, his family couldn't afford to pay for implants. He was made fun of mercilessly. He developed a tick, developed Tourette syndrome, and he ended up impulsively taking his life. And that's a, that's a story that's very, very dark, but this is, this is just one story from my life. Everyone, everyone here has a story of a person or a young person or, or an older person who was pretty much literally taken out by the words of other people, the death-dealing words of other people. So, so the, to the young people that are here in this room, whoever's left, the middle schoolers, God has made you a little bit lower than the angels. God has created you as a messenger to speak the truth of who God says we are to, and, to, and to live the truth of who God says we are to your peers. God has created you a little bit lower than the angels so that you can pay attention to the young people around you who are being neglected in your lunchroom so that you can speak words of encouragement that you think will encourage that person. The difference between these tremendous violent acts uh, of aggression uh, that are carried out in our, in our culture these days, the um, difference between those kids and the kids and, and, the, and the victims, uh, many times is a severe neglect, both at home and in school. And it's something that, as a young person, you are an angelic messenger from God to be that light for that person. Um, the truth is that the wrong words given daily over a long period of time and the messages that we internalize when we're very young, uh, which come from our families and from our peers, the social looking glass, um, they can literally kill people. We know this. Similarly, for the, for the adults in the room, whether young adults or older adults or, even, or elderly adults, you have been created by God a little bit lower than the angels. Most adults have gotten to a place in their life where they've forgotten that just like teenagers and children, other adults need love, 
They need positive and kind words spoken to them. No matter how self-sufficient the adult in question may seem to be, us adults equally need encouragement. We equally need kind words, gracious words spoken to us, words that build us up. Many adults never got the words they needed when they were young. When they were growing up as teenagers in middle school, from their families or from their friends, and they go into adulthood with a huge gnawing deficit in their lives, a need for encouragement. And so I'd like to remind adults that just because someone looks like a grown-up who you're sitting near, it doesn't mean that they don't need just as much encouragement, just as much attention, just as much loving words from your mouth as the young people that are around you. It's a different kind of way that we do it, of course, but let's not forget that adults need encouragement too. And I think it goes without saying for adults who are, you know, middle age or approaching middle age, like myself now, (laughs) I can't believe I'm approaching middle age, but when you get to that halfway point in your life, um, there is this tremendous new opportunity that God opens up for you. Just by nature, if you're a Christian and you're midlife or after midlife, just the fact that you've been faithful to Christ and he's been faithful to you all these years, you're still following him and you're older, you have this tremendous gift to offer the younger people in your life. Whether they be young adults in their 20s or or teenagers in their youth group age or middle schoolers, as a middle-aged person, God gives a special... You wouldn't believe the demand for it. But people... Uh, young people are looking for a mature Christian adult who's faithful to Jesus to give them guidance, to give them love, to give them attention and words of life. And I think, I, can, I think that I know for sure that many people don't realize, who are, who are middle-aged, don't realize how big that need is. And so they don't seek out those relationships. But if you were to decide to take a young adult under your wing as a middle-aged person or someone approaching middle age, even someone who's 10 years younger than you, 15 years younger than you, just a little bit behind you, it would mean the world to that person. You know, they need words of life. They need encouragement to get through the season of life that they're in, and you have the wisdom and the experience to guide them. They're praying for God to give them wisdom and direction, and you are the answer to that prayer. But so many times... The middle-aged folks don't feel, are, are, are looking for, what is my purpose? What's my purpose? What do I do for? They're thinking about their, current, their life and trying to, still trying to figure things out. And they're like, I can't, I can't help someone else. I can't even figure my own life out. And that is, that's fine, except for you can still mentor someone when you haven't figured your own life out. If you feel like you're lost, you haven't figured your life out, you can still pour into someone words of life. And I'm telling you, there's such a hunger uh, for this. There are people in our church who have Christian great-grandparents, Christian grandparents, Christian parents, and they themselves are Christians. They have seen a demonstration and heard words of Scripture from people older than them their whole life. They have an idea of what a spiritual grandparent could look like. But there are also people in our church, they're the first people in their family to come to Christ. 
They have no experience of Christian parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. They are looking to see examples of what faithfulness looks like over the long haul, and they are looking at the older believers, and they are hoping that someone will say to themselves, I wonder if I should take them out for coffee or for dinner, see how their life is going. They're just dying for that. I know that's true. I think that it warmed all of our hearts very much to have John Soper come here, you know, in his 70s, for, you know, somewhat frail after, after his, some of his health things. And, and, but just to see a faithful saint who has been faithful for all these years, it's such an inspiration to all of us. Um, and, and, and for young adults, for, for late teens, for, they're looking for in our culture, the, the older people are, have been devalued like no other century, you know? If you, if you don't know how to operate the iPhone XS, then you have nothing to offer me. You know, like, it's all about, in our culture, it's all about the older people asking the young people for help with technology. And it's, it's, it's a very destructive thing because it's implanted this idea that if you're older, that you don't have the right information, you need to be trained by a young person. But this is not the way it's supposed to be. Just because technology is more difficult for older people sometimes, that's not, <laughs> the truth is that almost any older person has more wisdom and know-how with life than almost any younger person. And there's much more to be taught to a younger person than there is for a young person to teach their grandparent. Much more. Deep wisdom, deep faith. What does it look like to lose a spouse to, to, a, to a disease and still be faithful to Christ and to get remarried or go through a divorce or go through raising kids who don't know Jesus and, and really get through all of these seasons of life while still holding on to faith. The answers are hidden in the people that can't operate the iPhone XS. And the young people are clueless. They're dying for some input. You know, it's, it's, some days it's, it's a way of thinking about yourself differently. You have the words of life and your attention in itself is the message of life uh, for, for young people. The fundamental question is that everyone's asking. God's given everybody a satellite dish on their head. And it's asking the question, do I matter to God? Do I matter to other people? Am I loved? What is the truth about who I am? And God has given us each other um, as, a, as a gift to share words of encouragement, words of love, words of kindness, to not share things that tear people down, to not demean someone's viewpoint. Um, God's given us this amazing gift. All day long, each of us has to come to the reality, the, the truth, that we are either a death machine or, the, or a life machine for people around us. You know? We, you, sometimes you don't even realize that, but you are one of the only reasons someone hasn't give up, given up hope in life. These are important things to realize. And how we use our words, how we use our attention uh, is, the, is the thing that will make all the difference. So as we close, I'd like to read from James 3. And just listen to, with all of that in mind that we've talked about, listen to this passage. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that 
we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Obviously, if you're talking to a big group of people as a teacher, you're either misleading people in Moss or leading people to Jesus in Moss. So it's a bigger responsibility. I got this. <coughs> Just kidding. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt produce a fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So our words, they carry the power of life and death. A very small part of the body, but they steer the whole thing. They set forests ablaze. They also can bring great blessing and build into people actual life to live by. Our words carry power. Our problem, as we saw in James uh, 3.13, is that if we, we harbor envy and selfish ambition in our hearts and pride, you know, we have that in us. And that's a problem, because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if your heart is full of poison, guess what comes out? But the, re but the remedy for this, the redemptive opportunity God offers us, is that through Jesus Christ our Lord, our hearts of stone can be made into hearts of flesh. If we will repent of our sin, turn to Jesus. Jesus died for sinners like us. And, and, and for, for those of us who do not believe, it's a time to give our lives to Jesus and say, you be the Lord of my life, forgive me of my sins, and help me to speak words of life. And for those of us who are believers, who have fallen out of line with the heart of God, um, it says a really interesting phrase in one, in one of the prophets, do not forget the height that you've fallen from. Don't get too big for your britches, Christian, right? Um, there's a pride that creeps into the lives of Christians all the time. The pride of life that keeps them from having a life-giving heart. We all have to come to the face-to-face the -face with the reality that Jesus died for us when we were yet in our sins, that he loved us on our worst day and gave his life for us so that we could become 
children of God. And, that, and we have not progressed in righteousness and holiness so high that we don't, don't still need to align ourselves with that reality. All of us are equally saved by grace. All of us are humbled by coming to the cross and saying, I can't do this on my own. So God takes our heart of stone. He, he makes a bargain with us. I'll take, my, take your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Put us back in that humble place where we can become a well of life, a, a well that looks to other people's interests, not just to our own, who speaks words of life, who keeps our mouth shut when we have words of death inside and goes to Jesus and asks him to change our hearts. So, it says in Psalm 141.3, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So be careful how you live this week. Pay attention to the words you say to yourself. Pay attention to the words you say to other people. Uh, pay attention to people that you might not have considered before or thought about. And think about how you can be someone who through Jesus' work in your heart can speak life in every situation, in your family, in your workplace. Um, that we might lift up people according to their needs so it might be beneficial for anyone who listens to us. Please join me in prayer.